Okay, that maybe worked. <laughs> cool. Um, let's start. Welcome to Tornal Recall, a podcast where we reread the Tamora Pierce Tornal books and yell about them and talk about them. This week, we're doing the second half of our Emperor Mage rereading, which is the third book in the Immortals Quartet, or the Dane Quartet, aka the best quartet, <laughs> says me. I'm Kelly. I'm hosting this week. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and uh, I thought this week we could all share our favorite weird food that Dane eats or rejects in this <laughs> book, um, at least that we can remember. Um and I guess I'll go first in hopes that I'm not taking this from somebody because there are so many weird foods. I guess the one I'm settling on is snake medallions in black bean and wine sauce. Oh, I did not remember that one. That's Ew. good. I mean, actually, I don't know if y'all have ever eaten rattlesnake, but it's not too Have bad. not. I, I have not done have that. Have you? Why have you? I grew up in Arizona in the countryside. And... I have so many questions. <laughs> yes, How do you remove the... T- Okay, but I'll uh, ask them later, maybe. I, I, did, I did not cook it myself. I'm not that hardcore, but yeah. Anyway. Did you catch it? Also, no. Did you hunt it? No. Darn. Was it tasty? Did I caught like, other rattlesnakes. Catch yeah. It? You yeah. caught a rattlesnake? How? Well, my, my, do you have those sticks? They're the snake no. grabbing sticks? No. No. <laughs> Where did you put them? Once you caught them? Oh, it's actually a terrible story that I shouldn't tell on air, but I'll tell you later. Okay, I'm so curious. Okay, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, hey. Hi, all. I'm Aurora. My pronouns are she, her, and I've eaten rattlesnake. Um, But my favorite meal, I mean, not my favorite meal, it was just a meal that stuck out to me. Was um, the dormice rolled in honey covered in poppy seeds? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah. That was the biggest, the biggest one for me for sure. Um, mostly because I mean I was a little icked, and I know you can eat mice, and that's fine and very normal. But I, Dane was icked, and I was also icked. It's like sweet meat, right? That's weird. I don't eat meat, but like that's weird, right? I mean, it's not very much meat. It's kind of like eating squirrel. Like, why? Yeah. It feels not worth it. I mean, right. I think it's partially just that it's like a delicacy. Like, it's not going to be very filling, yeah. but you can eat a mouse. Oh, wasteful. I mean, it, uh, whatever. You can eat mice if you need to eat mice, but anyway. <laughs> I mean, right. I think a lot of the weird things, the weird food in this book is things that are eaten somewhere. There's not that many animals that someone doesn't eat. Yeah, no. And I mean, I. It is the source of protein, and I'm sure it's a fine source of protein, but because Dane mm-hmm. has so many mouse friends, yeah, I, think, I was a little saddened. And I think, not to, like, pass judgment on eating specific animals, but I think for me, what, like, struck me as weird was just, like, the combinations of, like, the animal plus whatever they're with. Like, right, yeah, honey, honey, and 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 honey and yeah. poppy seed. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we all pick, like, two... Real gross combos. I mean, not gross. They are combos. Maybe they taste good in real life. You never know. Yeah, I no. hear foie gras, like, actually not I that bad, know. so. So, really. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, someone else's turn. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I can remember any really weird ones. Okay, I guess I'll go. Um, 
I'm Abby. My pronouns are she, her. Um, they mentioned eating eel, and I thought that was gross because I don't like eel, but that's not, like, very <laughs> weird. Uh, fair. There, yeah, there were a lot of weird foods, but we did read this book, like, a bit ago, and they're all blending together at this point. Did you say, like, your name and your pronouns? I did, yes. Okay, cool. Um, I'm Grace. My pronouns are she, her. I just found a page with a really normal list of food, and it really thought that I had found an exciting page, but I hadn't. So here's some normal food she eats. Uh, smoked salmon and herring. Tarts filled with cheese and ham. Yum. Sounds good. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I did. I enjoyed... It wasn't gross, but I enjoyed the description of phoresis cake as well oh yeah I well see. it was gross when a bunch of rats <laughs> came out of it <laughs> that, <is laughs> that part was gross <laughs> good effect though cake. yeah well we did that <laughs> cool <laughs> let's transition into the first section of this week which is actually continued from last week let's transition back to social oh. justice corner where did we end last week uh, we did feminism and queer stuff. Which <laughs> the queer stuff was just do. mostly like New Mare's <laughs> probs queer. Thanks, bye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> New Mare's definitely bye, and that's the yeah. only thing we have to say. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I actually forgot something. Okay. Since we're there. Um, Here we are. But I'm pretty sure our dear good friend, my best friend, the good graveyard hag, is also queer. Thanks, bye. Wait, who? Oh, yeah. Graveyard hag? Oh. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. It's just decided. Like, her look and her aesthetic. Her vibe. Yeah, and, oh, I had a quote, but I probably forgot to write it down. Yeah, no. Anyway. Yeah. Just decided. <laughs> I've decided it's yeah, canon. I, and I gave you some evidence. Okay, some I'm happy. Some very well-cited evidence. <laughs> there we go, we're good. her vibe. <laughs> Solid evidence. It's the vibe. 100% the vibe. Perfect. Anyway, okay. moving on. So... I guess that brings us not, it doesn't really bring us, but I guess we have left to talk about race, class, and militarism slash imperialism, which I really feel like are just going to kind of blend together. Yeah. I mean, why don't we, week. why don't we start with race and then mm-hmm. probably we'll sort of transition to the other ones, but there, like, do it. there's a fair amount of race stuff in this book because of how we're in a country where there yeah. are non-white people. What? No! Wow. <laughs> I'm <God>. blown. <laughs> I mean, we know that there are non-white people in Tortal, like, with varying levels of ambiguity, you know? I mean, we know that Sarge is a black guy. We don't know if there's, like, a large community of black people or if he's an immigrant and if he's an immigrant where he's from. We don't know any of that. But in this book, we're in Karthak, and that's sort of ancient Egypt. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> a little. The thing that stood out to me when I was thinking about race in this book and Tamora Pierce writing race was that I was really happy that she was having people that were non-white in this book. That was good. But I felt weird about the way that she was doing that, and I was trying to like pin down why that was. Um, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. I sort of felt like maybe one of the reasons I felt weird about it was because she was very much like, like, she was saying there were people with, like, black skin and, like, with brown skin, and I felt like those aren't, those are, like, very, like, sort of, like, weird categorical, like, othering ways of, like, describing the way that somebody looks. Like, instead of saying, like, they had, like, dark skin or comparing it to an actual color, 
it sort of reminds me of like creating these like color classifications yeah i mean it is really interesting that she repeatedly mentions i mean in this book she refers to um kadar kadar i don't know um she refers to him as a light-skinned black which tamra pierce please stop using colors as nouns we've talked about that before but right i mean it's interesting that she keeps using black as a category which has meaning in america Mm -hmm. in the modern day but it's not you know it's not a universal objectively defined like easily defined category you know it's so socially defined Mm-hmm. So, right. right, it's interesting that, um, uh, you know, we know that Sarge is a black man. That's, a, like, a quote. Um, and then we, we know that um, Qatar is a, a light-skinned black person, but still black, whereas other people are brown-skinned, I guess. Right, these are not well-defined categories, but she's just sort of throwing them out there as if yeah. they had meaning. <laughs> yeah and she's not like saying i mean yeah yeah i don't know and i'm trying i'm trying to figure out exactly why i feel weird about it i don't know if i have a good answer but i feel like i would feel more comfortable if she was like actually like tried to like describe kadar's skin color instead of saying like light skin black or something i don't know i don't really know if that would make it better if that would make it like weird and exotifying if she said like oh he had like coffee colored skin or something yeah i mean i think you can just say like light brown skin, dark brown yeah. skin, you know, you can describe the color using color words rather than racial categories. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, describing non-white people with, like, food words is <laughs> yeah, a gener- like a kind of a goofy exoticizing thing, but uh, there are ways to do it that aren't just, like, relying on this cultural shorthand that is specific to our society, which is not their society. Right, mm-hmm. because the categories that we would use that we, you know, automatically are going to think of as Americans when we read, um, like, a black man are socially constructed and they're, right. you know, not objective truths. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. why would we think that this would, yeah, that they would translate, like, whole parcel over into right. Karthek or Tortal or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I do think there is an alternate, like, there's a, an opposing argument, which is that when she says Sarge is a black man, there's only one way that we can read that, and it's that he's a person of color. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, when she says Alex of Tyrigan has dark skin, you know, yeah. we spent so long agonizing over, like, <laughs> is he, you know, do, like, canonically a character of color? So, you know, I think there is something to be said for making it very clear that these characters are not white, but, yeah, I don't know, it's it's a little strange. I mean, especially when she then refers to them as a black, then it gets, yeah, like, very exactly. unpleasant. Uh, right, well, and it is odd, something that I struggle with, I think I have in this book and then in um, other books of hers that we've read so far as well, is, like, we get this depiction of, like, diversity in terms of genetics but it's not often related back to cultural diversity like she's not actually expounding on like there are these people that are from this place and some of them immigrate to this place and that's why you get this community of people who are here in Karthak even though they uh ancestrally are from have this background or whatever like we don't have that color so or that like detail so it just feels sort of like tossed together or sort of arbitrary. 
Um, not like there are people who have distinct like cultural backgrounds. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it just doesn't feel like she's put a lot of thought into it, I guess. Because, mm-hmm. right, you get, like, you know, the Bajir are clearly an ethnic group and are not super thoroughly described, but probably look different from, like, your average Tortolan. But then you do have people who are, you know, completely culturally Tortolan who we don't know how they look, but... Mm-hmm. You know, it it seems like Tortal is diverse, but she hasn't really put the thought into, like, you know, are these different ethnic groups that have different cultures or anything like that? I don't know. Yeah, it it's a weird way to approach it. I think, actually, that she sort of maybe did a slightly better job with Karthik in that respect, because at least she was... She said a lot about how it was an empire that had, like, conquered a lot of different yeah, other definitely. places. And mm-hmm. therefore, the people from all those other places were living together in the capital, like, sure, happily sure. or not. Right. And she specifically mentioned, um, you know, there there's this uh, ethnic group, the ben- Benjuku? I don't know. Oh, I don't Benjuku. remember anymore. Benjuku, Benjuku. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, something yeah. like that. Um, right, so they're, like, an ethnic group that has been enslaved by the Karthaki Empire. And then I think you also get something interesting with, um, Kadar, because I think it's implied that he's darker-skinned than Ozorn, Ozorn. and yeah, he yeah. mentions mm-hmm. that his, uh, his mother's family is from, like, a conquered area. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's cool and interesting. I, I think it's awkward that, you know, Karthak is clearly fairly diverse, partially because it's an empire and partially because there's this university there that, like, attracts people from all over. <laughs> um, it's awkward that we pretty much only, uh, talk to two or three Karthaki people, I guess, depending on whether you count the yeah. the Banjuku man as Karthaki, but you, you get Ozorn and Kadar and that guy whose name I don't know, um, and then... I think that's it. The graveyard hag, I guess. But everyone else we talk to is, like, a northerner who's there. And everyone who's against slavery is a northerner. Right. Like, that felt very... I don't know. I Maybe the slavery, like, details of the way that she depicts slavery are a whole different discussion. But to me, that was off that, like, obviously, these very intelligent northern people... Mm -hmm. Right. No, the truth mm-hmm. of slavery, which is that it's wrong. No one else could figure that out. No one else in this whole city has any thoughts about it. But, you know, the the fantasy white people are like, no, I've got it. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the only group of, like, enslaved people that she talked to said that they were destined to be slaves, although this they backtrack on a bit later. Yeah. But that... Yeah, that's something that... I, like, I don't really feel equipped to, like, completely dissect, but there's definitely yeah. a lot of stuff there where, mm-hmm. right, the, there's this group of tribes people, I guess, who believe that their goddess created them to be slaves. And then uh, Dane talks to some gods and learns that they were not actually created to be slaves and, like, tells Surprisingly. them that. <laughs> Somehow. But the question, yeah. I mean, it's an odd question in that, you know, the gods have so uh, overtly kind of stuck themselves into the lives of a lot of the characters that we've followed. 
mm-hmm. to, like, shake some stuff up. And yet, the god of these people mm-hmm. hasn't talked to them. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like she could have just uh, dipped down sometime. <laughs> right, talked to one of them instead of talking to no, Dane. she needed hmm? a white teen to fix it. There is no <laughs> other way to fix it. I still refuse to believe that Dane is white, but um, agree oh, yeah, that... No. Uh, I that Tamara Pierce probably thinks she's white. Yes, that's I'm on the same page. That's the thing about one thing that I've noticed, and maybe it's just because I don't notice this when I'm reading, but when I was going through this, I have a note that says that in large part, Tamara Pierce only describes like someone's skin color or that aspect of their appearance if they're not assumed to be white. And so in mm-hmm. that sense, she sets up the narrative... Um, just expecting that that's how her audience are going to read people, and I don't know if that's, you know, not a great thing to do. It, I mean, that's fairly common throughout a lot of, like, fantasy. Hashtag Harry Potter. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of fantasy and just a lot of writing in general, I think. Yeah. Some authors sometimes will backtrack and be like, oh, no, 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 I did not assume, like... <laughs> right, you can read uh, them I, as any Yeah, as however yeah. you want, except I very explicitly wrote other characters this way, anyway. And so that's just a thing that she does throughout, you know, a lot of these books that is less than great. Right, so there's a lot of possibility to interpret characters as non-white, but Tamara Pierce doesn't, like, get credit for that. No. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and I agree. I noticed that too, Aurora. Like, she's never describing... Well, unless they're, like, evil, pale, like, too white. <laughs> sure. then, exactly. Um, yeah. Which is separate. They spend all their time indoors and don't have... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then she never is. Like, this guy with pale skin was over here. Yeah. Like, I mean, pale. I think she mentions that Thayette is pale, but specifically as part of her, like, you know, A, that she has, like, super flawless skin, and also that, like, it's... um. You know, they keep talking about, like, Thayette's genetics and, like, her evil dad and her, like, good mom and all that stuff. So I can see why that would come up. She might have inherited evil pale. Also, (laughs) it does kind of seem like that this is actually very awkward in retrospect. I feel like that they spend so much time uh, making sure that you know that, like, um... I mean, not spend a lot of time, but, like, Buri and Onua, I'm pretty sure, are, like, explicitly not pale-skinned, and then Thayet is, and that does kind of seem like, <laughs> what? <laughs> She's the one who, like, marries a white guy, and then is really beautiful, and I don't love it. I mean, like, I, we know that she's mixed race, but, I, I just, it's not ideal. Agree. There are, yeah, there, there are a number of things. That, <laughs> ugh, anyway. Maybe someday. Do we want to talk more? This might be transitioning race into class. Do we want to talk more about slavery? I feel like mm-hmm. we still... Let's do it. Um, I just hated the way it was written in some particular ways that I felt like were real choices on... Uh, here's this part like even just like the way the slaves start to be the slave people start to be described and then also like that they have to call people nobility that like made me so like sick while I was reading it I just hated it yeah I mean it, I think it's 
pretty clear that she's writing slavery as a thing that is horrible. So like, but it's you really can do unpleasant. that. You just have to be like, oh, these people are enslaved. That's horrible. You don't have to be like, and they have to like grovel all the time, and it's very sad and hard. Yeah, but I don't think that's you know, I don't, I don't think it makes it bad that she's like oh, slavery is really, like, they don't treat their slaves well. You know, I don't think it's bad for her to show them mistreating slaves. What I do think is bad is that she shows a lot of slaves, like, being abused and having to do all this horrible stuff, and we barely hear from any slaves at all. Yeah, I think that's, that's like, yeah, the same sort of thing. Yeah, that they don't get to talk, and even when you think that Dane is really having a conversation with somebody, like, it's you know, not real. It's a disguise. So she still hasn't actually talked to any, you know. Yeah, you're talking about when she talks to the graveyard hag. Yeah, in yeah. the disguise when she's, like, fixing up the room. Mm, yeah. yeah. I mean, right, she she does talk to the Benjuku people who are slaves, but they're kind yeah. of a different group of slaves, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. And also just, like, the language in general that's used in the text. It's and I don't know if this was deliberate, which is part of why it makes me uncomfortable, but there's a lot of instances of uh, the description not being like, a slave woman stood off to the side, but a slave was here. You know, they're not, it's very yeah. like depersonifying language, mm-hmm. which is difficult to read and could be deliberate, but I don't know. Yeah, and I noticed, you know, I also noticed there was a lot of like describing they're like shirtless bodies like flexing as they ord and that kind of thing and yeah like that in combination with the fact that you never really get you know they're they're never given like personhood and characterization and you know like the big group of slaves that we hear about other than the um banjuku is the mute slaves of the emperor mm-hmm. who you know i mean can't talk so that's a thing. But they can sign, and we still never hear from them. Nope. I mean, we ran into a very similar thing when we were reading the Alana books, when she yeah. goes book number three. Um, yeah. I was particularly interested in hearing y'all's opinions about the way that... Um, both Dane and um, Kadar each... Um, kind of deal with slavery and the ways that, like, for example, Dane was explicitly instructed not to engage with it. Yeah. I don't know how to think about that particular trait of, like, one aspect of your morality for, like, peace and tortal. Like, they weren't willing to shake that up um, so they could, like, get through their peace talks or whatever. And Kadar is a whole nother bag of worms, but... I, I don't love it as a narrative of just them, you know sort of having to be okay with slavery because they're doing peace talks, but, you know, I think it does make sense in world that they would say, okay, we just have to deal with this because we need our country to not be destroyed. Until the point where Dane overthrows the emperor and destroys the government. Because, like, uh-huh. at that point, I feel like they could start making some changes. Yeah, so then after she did that, she was like, what if you just free a couple of slaves for me, but then think about just freeing the rest of them for me, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I feel like she yeah. could have made a bigger ask, maybe. I also mm-hmm. think that we're slightly getting into a difference, too, of, like, um, what's the fancy, like, there's, like, the in-universe thing, which is, like, yes, it is hard to, can't just 
be like, oh, free all the slaves, please, mm-hmm. thanks. What's um, yeah. But there's also, like, the writing choice, which is that, like, Dane was written being asked not to engage with the, like, mm-hmm. slave people at all, and that could have been written differently so that she made her own individual choice to, like, be really kind to them, even though in general people weren't and then learned about them yeah. uh, as people. And, like, yeah. so there's, sometimes it's hard to separate those two levels of the discussion, but, like, they should yeah. both be there yeah well right and on a on a doyleist level on a a writing level this book could not have a happy ending that involves slavery still like being very entrenched in this country you know the thing that i that really stuck out to me is that um lindhall i guess is how you pronounce Mm -hmm. his name whatever um he you know he's a northerner who hates slavery and he explicitly is mentioned as having um having only stayed in Karthak for this long to help runaways escape. Yeah. Then, at the end of this book, he leaves, despite <laughs> the fact that slavery is still in place. He leaves and he also tells the new emperor, who is not abolishing slavery, that what he was doing was helping slaves escape. Wait, I have, I have so many questions about that, because they insinuated... So, we know that Kadar is not against slavery. Mm-hmm. Rather, yeah. he's pretty pro-slavery and sort of seems to not really consider slaves people as such. Um, but apparently he's been involved in this rebellion, which Lindhall and Nomer mention a big part of which is organizing this like underground railroad. So I guess I was just wondering, is that like a separate part of the rebellion that he suddenly learned about or was he just sort of dealing with that because it went along with the things that he cared about? I don't know, because I was confused when they sort of threw that in to the discussion of the rebellion, and I thought, why would Kadar be behind this? Because it seems like he doesn't care. Yeah. I guess, yeah, because it's sort of, like, convenient for him, I'm, I'm guessing, like, to be involved, because that's that's where the rebellion's at, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I had a similar question not, and not a very good answer. Do we have more that we want to talk about about Tamara Pierce and the slavery? She should stop writing about it. (laughs) (laughs) I have something that's kind of tangential, but it's definitely a tangent. Like, go for it. Very a tangent. I'm cool with that. Okay. So, we know, I think, that, like, in this universe, as I said, did I mention this was a tangent? It's a tangent. (laughs) Okay. Okay, go on it, go on it. <laughs> but in this universe, the gods are not forces for, like, moral good, right? Like, that's... No, I think it's more of, like, a Greek god thing where, like, the gods okay. all just are people who have their own agendas that might conflict. I mean, we know that. Yeah, because I was trying to... I guess, especially when I was younger, I was um, trying to work through, like, do these gods of these people actually care about the Karthaki people themselves or firstly, like, mm. about slavery, for that matter? There's my tangent. Um, <laughs> or um, do they only care that, like, Ozorn is ignoring them? And, like, what is their <laughs> yeah. moral responsibility for all of these reprehensible things that are happening in this country? I was thinking about that, too. It does seem like they're pretty much just in it for the, you know, like, offerings. <laughs> <laughs> 
listen, we want some flowers. Like, yeah, Ozorn is is ruining the country, and also slavery is happening. But right, they they seem way less concerned about that than the fact that he's, you know, claiming divinity or trying to divert people's attention away from the gods, which terrible. And like, why is his say the only one that is important? I don't know. There are a bunch of other people that I'm assuming worship them that they're just mm-hmm. ignoring i don't know it's like an odd hole in all of this yeah i'm curious about the god mechanics but i don't really understand them that well i i imagine that we'll talk about this more in the future but it does seem to me like they're the type of mythology where they're not just you know pure and good and looking out for people but where they're oh, kind of just yeah. doing their own thing and, like, picking which people to support and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Anyway, tangent over. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I guess the one other thing with relation to slavery that I wanted to bring up was that um, there's, like, a very strong theme in this book of cages, and there's, like, a distinct mm. metaphor yes. between human slavery and animals in cages and yeah i don't know yeah i thought that was really interesting especially because she hits it so hard yeah especially mm-hmm. when dane's like in the prison and she goes wild yeah a, a really overt metaphor is something that reminds me you're reading ya i feel like <laughs> like, like you guys might not have learned about this literary device yet i guess it's hard to know what to do with that in the sense that in saying that she doesn't like animal cages and comparing them to like human cages and saying that the human cages are very very wrong where does that put i don't know i don't know y'all it's weird because you know there is this really intense metaphor but then she got like i mean i think it's good that she breaks it up a little bit towards the end and says like cages are more okay for animals than humans or you know like right which i feel like is something you have to say because like yes dane puts a lot of stock in animals and their comfort and what they need but also like still in the sense of morality it is more bad for a person to be in a cage right but yeah i don't know i mean i think it's a little like you have to say that obviously you can't just say Oh, Ozorn owning birds and owning people. These are the same level of bad. <laughs> right, exactly. That's why you have to like go in and be like, yep. But yeah, I mean, it's weird to to hit this metaphor so hard and then have Dane, who's, you know, very much respects the personhood of animals, say, oh, but animals can be in cages. It's just people who can't. Yeah. I almost wonder if Tamora Pierce just got to the end and she thought, but I still like zoos, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, what if they were zoos, but they were, like, good dream spaces? <laughs> right, she did like sort better. of say, like, oh, well, well, zoos are not always the best for the animals, but Dane can use magic to make them good. <laughs> but I don't know, there is also an interesting sort of contrast between um, Ozorn you know, completely not thinking of slaves as people as at all, or, like, even, you know, anything that should be valued, but then, like, being so concerned about the welfare of his birds and animals. Like, the fact that he would kill slaves because they accidentally made his birds sick. 
but I don't know. It's I don't I don't really know how to parse that. I guess. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of its own trope. Yeah, it is. Like the evil person, the evil villain petting their Persian cat. Yeah. <laughs> I guess slavery was sort of part of our class discussion. The one other thing I thought about class in this book was that I thought it was really interesting, despite how incredibly stratified it sounds like Carthaki society is in terms of class, that the emperor was super duper accepting of Dane, who has a very low class background and didn't bring it up very much. That's true. And also, uh, it's strongly implied that um, the emperor was personal friends with Numair, who is also a commoner. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how the class system in Karthak kind of lines up with the class system in Tortal and the views that are entrenched in both. Yeah, we really don't get any glimpses of um, Karthaki nobility. I, I guess Ozorn mentions that there's like a council that he is somewhat beholden to, but... Um, yeah, mostly we just see people at the university, and it seems like they're pretty, yeah, like, don't not very stratified based on class. But you have to assume that, although they're less stratified, they're also at a university, like, they don't have to be working, so you have to assume yeah. that they're on pretty even ground to begin with. Yeah, we don't really know, like, does this university have tuition costs? I mean... Not clear. You're not on a farm, and that's a cost, right? Right, I mean, you have, but they, it's possible mm-hmm. that they also have, like, scholarships if you're, like, sure. a commoner who yeah. doesn't have money. Or maybe they don't, and maybe you have to pay to go there. Yeah. Mystery. It might be one of those things where they agree that, like, if you train them, you'll work for the state, and maybe that's part of the reason mm-hmm. that they were so mad when whatever, because we haven't read that book about Numair. That would make sense. Yeah, we don't know. That's why they were so mad that when he left, like, if they thought that this great powerful mage was going to work for the Empire... And then he kicked it or fought with the emperor or kicked it, but left yeah. town. He didn't kick it. <laughs> <laughs> Listener friends, if you have read that book, like, don't feel like you need to tell us about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. We'll, we'll we'll read get it there. in the future and yeah, we'll figure somewhere. it out. Yeah, I guess that, that would make a lot of sense, especially because it seems like the emperor sort of uses a lot of mages from the university to his personal gain afterwards, right. like lifting up the boat and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and having the uh, university is clearly, like, part of what makes him such a military power. Yeah. Because he has a lot of fancy trained mages that come from there, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it works. hmm So, as you all mentioned, there aren't a lot of, like, overt discussions of class in class in Karthak, but we do get Kadar's views. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty overtly. Um... When he first talks about Dane coming and knowing of her, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, her background is not a noble, and this is just another instance of him being an absolute turd, just like <laughs> him with slaves and him with, like, you know, dealing with women in general, but he equates, like, table manners and intelligence with background, and ah, uh, it was so mad. Anyway, that's all. I'm fine. He's a it turd. is very, like, bratty. Yeah. I mean, right, that was specifically in the context of her being, like, a quote-unquote, like, northern barbarian yeah. who would eat with her hands. So it was and both her being common and her being, f- like, from a very distant land, you know? Sure. Totally fair. Anyway, Kelly, what were you saying? I was just going to say, somebody said something about the military. Should we transition to mm-hmm. militarism and imperialism? Yeah, empire? I did like the way imperialism was handled in this book. 
I mean, I think it's the same thing as uh, we've talked about before, where it's a lot easier to say, you know, oh, here's the problem with imperialism, but not in Tortal. Tortal's <laughs> still good. Tortal. Only in this foreign country. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. yeah. As you said, like, the biggest thing that made me, that this made me think is, when is imperialism then okay? Because obviously, Timur Pierce doesn't agree with the way that Karthik is doing imperialism, but she seems pretty darn fine with the way that Tordal is <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. this did make me think a bit that, um, that King Rold, John's dad, might have sort of been the, the Qadar, Qadar of, um of Tortal in that Qadar has a lot of views that are bad, but it does seem like he's, for, for the most part, anti-empire, or at least anti-continuing to expand the empire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the expense of, you know, feeding people and stuff like that. You know, I think we're, we see in this book, hypothetically, because we don't know how Qadar is going to rule, but we see a turning point where you know, Ozorn was very power-hungry, wanted to rule the world, wanted to keep expanding the empire, and then now there's new leadership that will maybe do that less. And I think it's possible that that happened before the Alana book started in Tortal, because we know that they mm. had conquered lands within the last few generations, but then they had a king who was very invested in making peace. So I, I don't know, I think that is kind of an interesting way to think about it because it means that Tortal, like, is an empire but is not actively, you know, I mean, it's a lot like a lot of colonial powers are in somewhat modern times where, like, we still have all the benefits of having done the imperialism and the the colonizing, but we don't like to think of ourselves as colonizers. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I think that might be sort of more where Tortal is, whereas Karthak is more actively doing the colonizing. Yeah. <laughs> from Aurora. Sorry, that was, that was I definitely okay. agree with that. No, that makes sense to me. I also think that there is, like, a, a bit of a, a race aspect where, like, we're supposed to equate Tortal. Like, further into that analogy, mm-hmm. Tortal is an old colonizer and also white. Fantasy yeah. white, mm-hmm. so we're like unbothered by their actions, but like, oh, for Karthak to be an, an empire, they're clearly like, you know, out there. Um, I can't think of examples of things people do to colonize, storming the city. I mean, taking um, slaves seems like one of them. <laughs> the act of colonizing. <laughs> Wars. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, they're out there being violent and, like, Tortal's imperial- imperialism is benign and nonviolent because it's old, but also because it's white is how I yeah. think is kind of, like, the Yeah, no, I, I definitely buy that, especially because the main example of Tortal and colonialism that we see is with the Bajir, and it's sort of like, oh, they're, you know, nomadic tribes, so it's, like, not even a big deal that Tortal... It's like, not even, like, they're using that land. They're just yeah. wandering around. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, but we uh, also talked about, when we were talking about the Bajir in the Alana books, like, that's not super old colonizing, right? Like, it was within the frame of a couple of generations, mm-hmm. so... Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think some of it is older than other bits. Tortal's not out of the game. Mm-hmm. They're still defending there. <laughs> well, I, right, I guess what, like, as of um, 
John's dad, they're mm-hmm. hypothetically out of the game, but one generation is not right. a long time to be like, oh, that's <laughs> so far in the past, we would never do something like that. I mean, clearly, as Americans, we know a lot about <laughs> ignoring yeah. things that happened relatively recently. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally think that Tortal is a bit like modern US where they're just like, oh, Karthak. Doing all that imperialism, <gasps> conquering other places, how could we? Would they? Never. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we would never. This is our ancestral homeland that the Bajir lived on before we lived here. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I mean, but it's interesting to think about kind of the way that structurally their colonialism looks kind of different. Like, in the sense that, so mm-hmm. in Karthak, if you think about their army, their army has a lot of people. Even, you know, like, officers. And if you think about, like, Kadar, his... You said his mother was from a conquered... I think it was actually his father. His father. But it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think I said mother earlier, but Uh, I think it's his father. But Karthak, you know, despite the... It sounds like the imperialism, as Kadar talks about it, is, you know, like, terrible and they overtax people. And it's real, real bad. But in the way that they've kind of taken and not integrated, but, like, all of these different conquered empires seem to play a some sort of key role or a role in um, the functioning of the empire itself in a way that Tortal seemed very resistant to, at least before Alana's time. Yeah. yeah. I guess you mean, like, the um, Carthakis are more invested in assimilating the conquered peoples, I guess, rather yeah, than... in that sense. Yeah, but right, we do see that during the Alana books with uh, like the Vizier. the Vizier and like the King's Own, etc. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, right, and the fact that that John becomes the voice of the tribes. <laughs> we can't get into that again. I'll never not be angry about that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Don't worry, we're all still mad. Like we can take a group <laughs> poll. Everyone's still mad. Yeah. We just can't talk about it again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Like, the yelling that was then is still going on now. It's just a lot quieter. Yeah. So quiet, you can't hear it. Um, It is really interesting to track, like, there's tons of metaphors for imperialism, or just, you know, fantasy imperialism. It's not a metaphor. It's real imperialism that's happening in this world. But (laughs) there's so many examples. You know, Tortal is the first example with the Bajir, and then we get the Khmer, Mm -hmm. Khmeri. And right now we have Karthak, and... In the future, we'll maybe have something else. Perhaps. And it's interesting that pretty much every example we get is sort of more nuanced than the previous one. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is, it's kind of interesting to me because, you know, to, like, briefly hypothesize about the author. Like, maybe she did feel like she hadn't totally been able to do it the way she wanted to or do it in an informed way. So she's returning to it and giving us these takes that are a little bit, like give us a little bit more to work with each time. And so it's good not to just treat imperialism or colonialism as like a, a one-time issue because it is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Grace, you just talked about authorial intent. Yeah. Should mm-hmm. we sidle on over to authorial intent? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what was the new name for this? Zombie author. No, Zombie that's author. the old name. Pierce we had a new one. Pierce the Veil. Oh, Pierce the Veil! Pierce, Pierce the, the Veil! Forget what I said! Pierce the Veil is the new name. Forgot to change it. Oh, that's I'm so it good. The layers Pierce of... Pierce the Veil. Like, we cuttiness. are piercing 
The veil. Now. Yes. <laughs> so, one of our sections on this is shame that kink, and I have two kinks to shame <laughs> Tamora Pierce. Okay. <laughs> the first one is I think Tamora Pierce has a thing for tall men, because she keeps bringing up how tall people are, and then she has the graveyard hag be like, oh, dude, all your friends are so tall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, They're all taller than six feet. I actually looked at Lindhall Reed's Wikipedia, or, you know, Tortal wiki page. Mm-hmm. I think to verify that he was blonde because I wanted to make sure that he was white before I referenced that he was white. But it mentions that, like, later he appears and they, he's specified to be, like, 5'6", but in this he's specified to be 6 feet tall. So that's irrelevant to most things. I just thought it was funny that she could not keep his height straight. She forgot how tall he was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Um, and the second one is, I know we've touched on this before, but... Birdman. <laughs> she sure Ozorn does love turns into birds. a Birdman too. So I really feel like there's something going here. Numer's a Birdman. Ozorn's a Birdman. We may see more in the future. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no one could know. It's impossible to tell. Animorphs. <laughs> animorphs. Yes, animorphs. Yeah. Precisely. But what if they were animorphs? Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to discuss the Bird King more. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm literally just. Waiting with faded breath for this moment. Uh, it's going to be a highlight, I can tell. Man, yeah. I have not put these pieces together before, and I'm, like, experiencing a real personal revelation about <laughs> there's, the, there's a lot of third men. There's just a lot of them. Uh, my goodness. Good catch, Kelly. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Uh, I have a zombie author thing that is uh, not, a, not a kink thing. <laughs> okay, that's fair, Go I guess. It. That's allowed. <laughs> Um, this is, like, a pretty minor point in the book, but it stuck out to me that Dane mentions, um, when they're talking about, like, Ozorn just saying, like, the people should worship me instead of gods. People shouldn't be spending their money on gods. They should be paying taxes. Um, Dane has a line about all people need to worship. All creatures need hope. Oh, yeah. And that seemed very much like just the author saying <laughs> yep. that people need to have religion. Thank you, Tamara. Yes. Thanks for and your opinion. as an atheist, I resented it. <laughs> I, I just think that, Tamara Pierce, there are ways to have hope that are not about religion. It's okay. Also, like, the gods in their world are not Super that helpful. great. Yeah, no, they're not great. I, it's always weird when you have like, religions that look like religions in our world, but in a world where they know that gods are real. But I I think it's especially weird in this case because you have all these people, you know, worshipping God or various gods, and Dane talks about how it gives them hope, but... Like, what part of it? Because the gods seem pretty self-interested. Yeah, in, in a world where, you know, you know that, like, you're a slave in Karthak, and... The gods are cool with that as long as they keep the the offerings up, you know, keep yeah. the prayers coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's where her statement there feels very out of place, given yeah, you know, yeah, the way the gods are kind of situated as these very more independent entities in this particular universe. But so it very much felt like kind of a self insert. Right, it did feel like, here, we're just stepping out of the narrative for a second for Tara Pierce to give her opinion, and her opinion is that people need religion. And that chickens are bad. 
And the hyenas are good. I think she likes hyenas a lot. Which she is does. interesting because like they're presented as like this metaphor for Karthak is like something that like, you know, eats things and stuff. Like a, the <laughs> big you. imperialist empire. That was really uh, eloquent. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, hyenas are pretty cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I did really appreciate that line where Dane was like, uh, I wish I could meet the god who designed these, but that was a god with imagination. <laughs> I just, like, am picturing Tamora Pierce, like, going to a zoo and being like, oh, man, best animal ever! And then, like, jotting that down in her notebook. The, she does, like, like, they... <laughs> hyenas do come off as kind of weird and creepy in this, though. I mean, there's, like, a whole <laughs> prophecy about how they're gonna bring about the defeat of the emperor or whatever. But they're, like, yeah, delightfully they're, like, creepy. Cool. Yeah. I mean, they are. They're they're awesome. I love them. Mm. We should maybe... This seems like an animal friendship conversation. Everything oh, wow. are is we animal moving friendship, to... Abby. You can't escape. Are hyenas are friends? <laughs> That's well, true. Well, let's just, let's just slide right on over to Queen's Writers yeah. Friendship Moments, <gasps> where we talk about friendships. Between people and animals and people and people and animals and animals, etc. <laughs> I like how the divider between, like, person friendship and animal friendship has just dissolved in the Dane <laughs> series. Because there's just so much animal friendship. Everyone has animal friends. I actually have a complaint to lodge about this book in that respect. I felt like there was a lack of animal friendship in this book. Or, like, quality animal friendship there compared to less. the previous book. I think that's because there was, like, a plot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't need a plot, I just need animal friendships. <laughs> no, well, but like, like Wolfspeaker was 95% just, <laughs> just like straight elf. animal yeah. friendship. <laughs> That's what I crave. Uh. So what I, I guess what I find interesting is that um, this is maybe just like a preference to talking about the friendships. I guess it was in this book that I noticed that Tamora Pierce has been having Dane make all these awesome friends humans and animals alike. Len has kind of been like abandoning them in the yeah, previous books. Bit. Like now we haven't seen Onoa for two books. Aww. And like even Cloud was gone from this book and she was like a mainstay. And instead, like the only person who travels with Dane, I mean Numera travels with Dane in every book. Alana. And this and Kit and Alana comes, but she wasn't really like I feel like she wasn't a there major There were some role. cute moments with Alana. They had some that nice t- hugs. Yeah. I felt like in the last book she wasn't in it that much. In Wolfspeaker she just showed up at the end. Sure. Yeah, she was only at the end, but she was there a little bit. But yeah, partially because Dane does all his traveling. And then Kitten, who can't speak, uh-huh. is the only animal that is like accompanying her everywhere. So I guess I just thought that was an interesting choice. Like, you write such good characters, like, make them stick around. I want more friendship. And then <laughs> I also just found the Zek friendship to be a little bit unfulfilling upon this reading. I thought the Marmoset wasn't that interesting. I don't know. I do love his, I, I don't know why I wrote this in Friendship Corner, but among my list of friends, I did put Zach and Keys, because Zach and Keys. Okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's really sweet. I, I really liked that. Fri- do you I remember mean, the part at the beginning where she misses her pony? Because I really yeah. liked that yeah. part. Yeah, there was still some, there were some good shout outs to her absence. I know, I just want them here. Yeah. Anyway, with that complaint over, we can talk about the friends that are here. I just needed to get that yeah. off my chest. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that that it's just partially the structure of the books where, you know, each one takes place in a different location. (laughs) Just wait till the next one. Yeah, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I did really appreciate the, the, like, um, you know, not giant amount of Alana content we got, but we did get some, and it was very cute. There were some good Mm -hmm. hugs. There was a scene where Alana, like, braided her hair, and I thought that was very nice. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. And Alana gives her, like, advice about being meddled with by the gods. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, no, that was good. And then also, uh, when she's talking to um, Numair and Alana, there was a good Numair friendship moment where, uh, or Numair and Alana friendship moment where uh, Numair starts listing all of the greater <laughs> gods that there are. <laughs> And Alana's just like, no, don't name them all. <laughs> because she she has no patience for how much of a nerd he is. <laughs> I thought uh, Lindhal and Numer also had a yes. kind of sweet... Uh, yeah. They just got to geek out together all the time. That was great. Which I totally empathize with and I thought was lovely. And they hadn't seen each other in so long. And when he showed up on the dock, Numer was like, I thought you wouldn't come to say hi to me. And he was like, of course I would. Uh. <laughs> I also liked, um, like, I don't like this moment overall as a concept, but when uh, Numera is talking to Dane about how Dane's pretty, um, he specifically is like, not like Alana, you know, she's not that pretty. And then Dane, like, can't comprehend that. She's like, no, Alana's so beautiful. Like, she doesn't <laughs> yeah. understand what he's trying to tell her. Yeah, Alana <laughs> I think that's supposed to be her being, like, humble and not knowing that she's pretty or whatever but i definitely read it as her being like what no my friend alana she's great she's beautiful <laughs> oh. uh i also have a note here noting the friendship between lindhall and his door who he yells at <laughs> i like your friendship notes. i almost wrote that down and i didn't but it is delightful alternative notes <laughs> i'm warming up gradually the slowest to oh how do you say his name Rick, rickish oh rickish. yes oh wait i am the warming up so fast i love them in this book and the graveyard hag and yes. they're, yeah they're yeah little, there's some, they're fun some good stuff banter i and love cares about mora still just some, a good crew yeah no and we got rickish and mora friendship Aww. in this book that was great i was super fond of rickish in this book and i forgot i like it when he first sees dane again and he just like starts making fun of her right away like yeah. calm down <laughs> He's so sassy. <laughs> and he and he like yeah, goes over great. to talk to like her new mare and spends the entire time they're talking, like peeling up a piece of metal really loudly from the thing he's sitting on, like dragging <laughs> it back down again. <laughs> he's so rude. He loves drama. <laughs> yeah. You know? Our boy loves Just drama. Just gotta be like theatrical. Yeah. He's a dramatic guy. <laughs> I'm super into him. I think he's the fancy boy of the Stormwings. I think he is. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> I will believe it. <laughs> Moon sword. Speaking of fanciness and sass, Dane and her like developing banter and like relationship with a graveyard hag is one of my <laughs> favorite things historically with this book. <laughs> I don't think they're really yeah. friends because the graveyard hag is I don't know. She probably has a very different conception of friendship. Yeah. <laughs> but they certainly yeah, do have a certain rapport um that I appreciate very much a lot. They're both yeah. really mean to each other in a sweet but way. I don't think way. they're friends. Yeah. I don't know. As much as a graveyard hag has friends, I feel like Dane's very Right, friends, which so. I don't know how much she does, but she yeah. is the rat. I mean, she is also like using Dane to achieve vengeance, but <laughs> Dane's having like a pretty good time with it. People can be your friend even if you're using them to achieve vengeance, technically. <laughs> <laughs> I like Dane's mm-hmm. friendship with the weird mute dinosaurs that she brings back to life that are really nice to her. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was so sweet when she was, you know, someone asked, like, if it hurt them to be, like, the skeletons to be destroyed, and she was like, no, it doesn't hurt them, it just hurts me. Aww. <laughs> Aww. 
Yeah, there, there was a lack of a live animal yeah. friendship, but there was good some dino friendship. Good dead mm. animal I friendship. Did, I did miss that live animal friendship, but the dead animal friendship was pretty cute. And I feel bad for hitting Ozek earlier. I forgot how cute he was with the keys. That was pretty good. Yeah. That was really cute. Yeah. I just feel he like... He also really likes oh, grapes. I also... He does like grapes. Yeah. 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 Um, I enjoyed um, a little bit of, I guess, mostly um, Duke Gareth and Gary the Younger and, like, the other diplomats, um, both when Dane jumped in the river to rescue <sighs> the Marmoset. <laughs> And they all, like, she got back up on the boat and she was all wet and all the Tortolans were just, like, trying really hard not to laugh. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that was good friendship. Yeah, though, mm-hmm. who was the one, the older diplomat? I like I like his sort of friendship with Dane, like, when he sees her yawning in the peace talk and he's like, you don't have to sit here. <laughs> yeah. Go do something yeah, else. Yeah, that was nice. That was Duke Gareth. Ah, uh, Duke Gareth. I kind of missed him. Yeah, he was nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also liked, um, we mentioned this in the last episode, but the fact that uh, Dane keeps mentioning, like, oh, like, Thea insisted that I get all these fancy clothes, and then she spent <laughs> yeah. hours teaching me to curtsy and stuff like that. Yeah. So, good Thea content. <sighs> um, I guess, I feel like we're not talking about two very important friendships. I don't know if we should touch on these or sort of say them for character building, but obviously like Dane and Kadar and Dane and Numer in this book have a lot of things going on with all of them. Mm-hmm. Some of that we might even have to save for yeah, Night Vision. Yeah, I feel like... Oh, I do have one moment, though, that's just a good moment, which is that um, when it, there, it's a state dinner and Numer's feeling sick and yeah, Dane sends the dogs to go yeah. sit under the table so he can feed them with sleight of hand. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was nice. They're still they're still buddies. Does anybody have any more, a few more friendships to throw in, or should we move to our new section? Oh wait, wait, wait! Uh, okay, bone okay. dancer. Have we even oh, talked about bone dancer? Bone dancer, excellent oh. hall. That is pretty bone cute. Dancer yeah. And <laughs> just, I really like that bone dancer just like wants to stick yeah. around. <laughs> he stays because he loves his people. Yeah. Aww. Anyway, that's all. Okay. Okay. Our next section is a brand new section. It's character building slash character development. It's because we realized on the Wolf Speaker series that we were trying to jam all of that into world building, and world building was getting really long, so we made a new section. (laughs) Yeah. We. But we don't have a name for it. We do not. So if you guys have a name for it, let us know, (laughs) because we would like a good name. Um, our placeholder name is She Couldn't Be a Hero. Could she? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> but we would like a punnier name if possible. So please yeah. help us. <laughs> Thank you. Character building. Kadar, let's talk about Kadar. Kadar is really weird. I don't know how to feel. Oh my gosh, Kadar. Yeah. yeah, it was such a combination of, you know, he's a bigot in like every way. Yep. Like, he doesn't think that slaves are people and he doesn't think that women can fight and all this stuff. But then it's mixed in with like these really endearing moments of mm-hmm. like he cares about his people and he loves to garden. Yeah, oh, when he says he likes gardening. <laughs> so touching. Yeah. I mean, he did I mean, I do feel very, very conflicted about him but it is nice that he didn't stay static with regards to a lot of the issues that are super problematic, like, in his journey. Like, mm-hmm. he, of course, has not yeah. made it all the way with regard to, like, slavery and how he should view women, and, but... Mm-hmm. But he's, like... He certainly... 
Oh, go oh sorry. Go, go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. He took a journey. Go, Kelly. Yeah, I was just going to say, he was, he was like, like, to your point, he was super amenable, like, even though he was expecting Dane to be, as quoted from the book, a northern barbarian. When he met her and talked to her, he began treating her like a regular person who he would talk to. Like, he wasn't stuck in his ways, at least. Yeah, right. I mean, it's interesting because I guess we sort of just see the beginning of his journey of, like, oh, his mind is starting to open. He's maybe considering that slavery (laughs) might be bad and that women can do things and that northern commoners aren't all barbarians. But, we right, he just gets, like, the very beginning of that Mm -hmm. journey and then we get a little bit of, like, oh, he's he's not as into imperialism, so that's good. And then he gets put in charge of the country and everyone else leaves. <laughs> I thought... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Grace. No, that's all. Just, yeah. <laughs> what I, I guess the thing that I found super... And I mean, people can have morality that is confusing, but what I found confusing about his morality was that he could be so against imperialism and against imperialism as in we can't keep exploiting the people whose lands we take over so much they can't feed themselves i really care about these people we shouldn't keep conquering when we can't take care of people but then not like recognize the humanity in slaves like he could really recognize humanity and disadvantage people but just not slaves which presumably are people from the places that they conquered yeah i don't know i i think like people who are you know, racist and bigoted and whatever can sometimes, you know, make these barriers where, like, okay, free people are people and slaves are not people. But we also don't know, like, if, you know, we know that the the one tribe, the Benjuku tribe, are, like, that's a whole ethnicity that's enslaved, but other than that, we don't know if there's, if there is, like, a, a line of, like, um... You know, if there's, like, a caste system or, like, an ethnicity Mm -hmm. thing. Like, if there's something that determines who can be a slave other than just, like, are you a slave? Yeah, all we have is that mural from the university where somebody was, like, offering up children in chains, I think. Yeah. But that's unclear. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting, especially, like, as you said, because he was... At least his father was a prince from one of the conquered lands, and he has a lot of empathy Mm -hmm. for people who live in the territories colonies of Karthak but really just right, none for slaves at all slave. which like you said can happen and can be true but yeah right I don't think it's a um an unrealistic character but I think it's a very hard character to parse within mm-hmm. the narrative um and like the part of his journey that we see him on I guess mm-hmm. um and right you know I hope that he you know, improves as a ruler and reconsiders his beliefs, but, like, I don't know if he will. Mm -hmm. So, like, the idea that we're supposed to see him as, like, you know, one of the good guys and, like, Mm -hmm. a much better alternative to Ozorn while he's still totally down with slavery is tricky. I agree. Kadar. Ozorn, let's talk about Ozorn. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's weird. He's weird. He's yeah, weird he, he's weird too, for sure. He, I think he's a really good, like, creepy villain, mm-hmm. but I don't understand everything about him. But, I mean, you get little peeks into, you know, he's obviously, he went to school with Numer, and so he yeah. obviously has, like, 
you know, like years of university training, and he's very curious about Kitten, and he loves his birds, but he's also has the biggest ego in all of yeah. Karthak, in that he wants everyone to worship him as a deity. Um, <laughs> and he likes being fancy. And he's yeah. a fancy boy. He likes to be fancy. <laughs> and right, he has trouble believing that, you know, even if he knows intellectually that Numer is, like, a better wizard than he is, he has trouble, like, believing that in his mm-hmm. heart. He just thinks that he's really the best at everything. <laughs> I guess my question about Ozorn is, um, I, like, he says that he has this whole speech about, you know, oh, the all these omens from the gods are about the fact that I pardoned Numair, and, like, the gods are really mad at Numair, so obviously I have to kill Numair. <laughs> um, was that him, like... Do you know doing like a spin? Was that his propaganda of like what's up with the gods, or does he actually believe? I felt that? like he believed it. Like I wrote next to that, oh my gosh, he is completely delusional. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if his ego has just expanded to the point that yeah, he no longer has be. a completely a uh, clear grasp on how things truly are. Shrugs. Because <laughs> I mean, he's receiving he's receiving signs from the gods. So if he, I feel like if he. If he really believed that those signs were a problem, then he wouldn't just worry about spinning this for other countries. He would worry about spinning it for the gods, and they're going to continue to be a problem to him. Yeah. I mean, right, I think partially he might actually just think that he's better than the gods, mm-hmm. you know? It's just So he thinks ego. that even if they have a problem with them, or even if they have a problem with him, he can just deal with it, because he's basically the level of the gods, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> In his defense, I mean, not really in his defense, his looks are always very good. Yeah, they are good. He is, he is right about That's maximum. True. He has maximum fanciness. Mm-hmm. Max fans. Yeah, I, I agreed with what you said, Abby, where you were like, I don't complete. I definitely don't completely understand him. But I, I kind of like that. Like, the ambiguities about his character don't bother me so much as they intrigue me. Yeah, yeah. same. Any more character building? I guess we touched on this already, but Rikash is getting more fleshed out. I like it. Yeah. A Stormwing with personality. Mm-hmm. That's cool. This is barely a character thing, but uh, Lindhall mentions that he has an assistant who's really great, and she's about to go live with the merfolk <laughs> and study them, yeah. and we never get to meet her, and I just want to know her story. Uh, yeah, I'm mad. I, uh, she's my favorite character. <laughs> yeah. I guess the one character who we've not touched upon and who's, like, kind of central a little bit might be Dane herself. Oh, Dane. Dane's angry. That's what I got from this. She's so angry. I love it. Like, her Just the whole chapter, Dane loses her temper is so good. Best Best chapter title. Uh, Best chapter. Like, (laughs) we know that, in Amy's words, uh, Dane is... Metal as heck. Um, <laughs> but she certainly proved herself. Also, she showed yeah. the extent to which she is really, you know, she has the Metal potential yeah, to do some real big stuff. And we do get, mm-hmm. you know, the graveyard hag kind of gets on her, not gets on her case, but talks about how she does have a lot of anger Residual and sadness anger. in her past. Yeah. And then it all just, like... Turns into dinosaur rage. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah. I think she does have a lot of development because, like, 
this is her really, I think, realizing that she has a power besides, like, an ability. She has a lot of power, and that's cool. And I'm happy for her. Yeah, and kind of, like, accepts yeah. also, accepts the power, whereas before she was, like, oh, who me? This is just a thing, like you said. Like, nothing yeah. special about me. And now she's like, wait, I have a divine father, and I could do crazy things. I can control many dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she thinks earlier on in the book, like, why would anyone even care that I was here? Like, what mm-hmm. what's special about me? And then at the end of the book, she's just like, I'm going to single-handedly destroy this palace. <laughs> and then decide its fate afterwards. <laughs> yep. Oh, you can just let so. Darn roll. That's fine. You don't have to destroy all Karthik, Graveyard Hag. Give him a chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, more about Dane? Anything about Numer? I mean, I have stuff to say about Numer, but I think we should probably say it in the next section. Yeah. <laughs> should we go to Night Vision then? Yeah, okay. let's do it. This is Knight Vision, Knight with a K, <laughs> um, which is our foreshadowing section. Um, so if you do not want to get spoiled, um, we'll have a sound cue at the end of this that you can go to that will signal that spoilers are over. So, foreshadowing! Yeah. Oh, wait, no, we should go with your rage first, and then I have a question. Okay, my rage is just, like, (sighs) every, like, literal, like, single time, this is, like, this is the book where Tora Pierce was, like, "Mm mm-hmm, have to set up this romance for the next book. Let's make lots and lots and lots of touches and talks about how beautiful you are. Yeah, in my memory, this was the book where the romance, like, happened. I thought so, too. I was glad it didn't. I'm glad that it didn't, but, like, it's still, like, very present. Like, every single time he, like, touched her anything, I, like, screamed on the inside. Yeah, or every time he, like... I mean, it's okay for him to be like, you look nice, but also when he was so gross with uh, Kadar, he's like, Mm -hmm. leave off. I'm like... You go away, Numer, my man. You are very old. And the double standards yeah. that he There's was setting. There's a big difference between, like, you look pretty, I like your dress, and, like, you are just so beautiful in comparison to other and, people, and mm-hmm. specifically your beauty, blah, blah, blah. Don't and like it. like he says, like, oh, if I'm not careful, like, soon you'll be married off to somebody. Boy! Uh, <laughs> ugh. I'm so mad. I guess, I mean, the only thing that, like, at least made it a little bit better for me was that it seemed like Dane was also maybe showing some romantic interest in him, too, so at least it wasn't totally, like, one-sided, but I don't know if that really made it Okay, but he's also literally double her age. I know, I know. I think, oh no, I I think this actually might have come in a mail, um, that I cannot reference directly, because I am bad with names, um... But yeah, I believe the author has talked about how maybe she's gotten comments about the large age differences and just says that's kind of her thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just... Sad thing. Yeah, I am not a huge fan. Also, Dane is like 15. Yeah. Yeah. And he's her teacher. He's her teacher. Yeah, Imagine yeah. if there was a university, be completely unacceptable. I mean, okay, this happens at yeah. universities all the time, and it's terrible, but it is completely well, unacceptable. Well, okay, but but not usually with fifteen-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. well, right. right, right. 
And it's good that it's not completely one-sided, like, he's not stalking her. But at the same time, like, 15-year-olds don't have a sense of that power differential, and that's part of why it's such an issue. Like, even if she shows interest, that's not at all something that makes it more acceptable. No, I agree with you 100%. There's also, there's, like, a moment in this book where she says, like, oh, it's weird that um, Numer wasn't laughing off the... um, the implication that they'd slept together, which he'd done in the past, and then she says, like, if anything, that the implication that they were sleeping together bothered Dane more because it, like, impugned Numer's character. Yeah. Like, it it said bad things about Numer, so, like, Ugh. that's a thing that she's aware of, that it would, right. like, say bad things about his character if they were sleeping together, but she's, like, cool with it in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, are my thoughts. My thoughts are ick, ick, ick. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that made me really sad because I've really been enjoying in the first two books in this series pretending that I didn't know about this impending romance and really enjoying (laughs) their good friendship. Yeah, and to be honest, like, this has besmirched my whole memory of this series, like, even though it technically only happens, like, quite far into the next book, Mm -hmm. but it's just, like, it is hard to read. And also, like, sure, that's your thing, Tamara Fierce. That's fine. But, like, if you're writing a book for 15-year-olds and younger, it is mm-hmm. not the time to have this kind of relationship because it normalizes Yeah, it. like, I read this yes. when I was, like, 10 years old, and I was like, that's so romantic. And then it's, like, only in the last, like, several years that I was like, wait, what the heck? <laughs> no way. <laughs> right. And when you look at how many people have, like, talked to us, on various social media about not realizing the age difference like here or with George and Alana uh, when they were younger and then like knowing oh he's quite a bit older but still seeing it as romantic mm-hmm. like you just don't understand that when you're younger right and yeah I think it's totally okay to as an adult think about and write about you know relationships that turn you on or whatever but right putting that dynamic repeatedly in books that are aimed at young kids Mm -hmm. really just makes it seem like, okay, it's normal and okay for 15-year-olds to be in relationships with 30-year-olds, and it's not. Yep, zero percent. Well, more to look forward to on that in uh, the next book. I like the foreshadowing that she did in this book, where she sort of, like, laid the groundwork about mm-hmm. the gods a little bit more to go into the next book. I thought that was surprisingly mm-hmm. subtle for Tamara Pierce. Um, and I'm <laughs> excited to meet the gods in the next book because that's something that I've always yeah. enjoyed about that oh. book. I had a question regarding, I don't think it's even foreshadowing, but it's a future thing that I maybe just blanked on. But, so do you remember in this book they were trying to set up a marriage between Kadar and Princess Kalasin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Kadar actually get married to one of, like, the Tortal royalty? Or is that incorrect? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. remember. Somebody in the future will have to update me on this, because I feel like he does make a reappearance. It could be. I don't know. I also thought it was funny that they mentioned um, that there was a princess from the Copper Isles who was, like, angling to marry him, because that was also true of John in the previous series. The Copper Isles are just full of princesses. Okay, let's do Chamber of the Ordeal, where we rate the book on 
Nostalgia and Animal Friendship and say who we would recommend it to. For once, I actually wrote ratings down, so wow. I can go Go, first. Kelly, go! Wow, you're so prepared, Kelly. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. This is the first time I've ever done it. I actually, for some reason, this time when I read this book, maybe it was because I was really sleepy when I read it, <laughs> behind behind the curtain here, um, I felt less nostalgic about it than I did when I reread the other books. Maybe it's also because I had reread this one more as a youth or something. Um, so I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 nostalgia rating instead of a perfect 10. So. <laughs> I like how your nostalgia wow. ratings are actually still really high. <laughs> dipping just a little bit from the perfect nostalgia rating. I didn't remember, like when I read this book, I didn't remember as many things. But I was like, oh my god, I loved that, that I didn't remember. Um, animal Friendship, I am going to have to give this an 8 out of 10 instead of a perfect 10 because I just felt like there weren't enough live animals that Dane could actually talk to in this book. There there was a decrease in animal friendship from the last book. And it sure. made me sad, but I still, there was a lot of animal friendship, so that I'm happy about. Um, and who would you recommend it to? I feel like I would still recommend this book to all yous. I don't think... I think if you weren't reading, if you didn't know what happened, but I don't, uh, blah, blah, I'm moving back into Spoiler Town. I'm going to move away from Spoiler Town. I don't think there's anything that would really make it super inappropriate. I mean, I think it would be good if it were, if you read it and then you could, it was a appropriate age group where you could have conversations about race and colonialism, but it's also a book for young adults. So I want to recommend it to young adults. Yeah. Who like animals. I'm so torn about that. And who like Fantasy Egypt. If you like Fantasy Egypt, this may be a good book for you. That's true. Okay, that's it for me. Um, I'll go, I guess, then. Um, I I would give it, I guess, like, an, uh, an 8 out of 10 for nostalgia, because I really like this book a lot, but there are, like, a few things that made it, you know, that, that dampened my enthusiasm for it. Um, but... I mean, 8 out of 10 for dinosaurs alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Grey Red Haggits. There's so much good stuff in this book. <laughs> Animal Friendship. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 for dinosaurs oh, again. And also, uh, the the marmoset with the keys is very cute. Zach! Um, yeah, Zach. Very nice. Um... I I really I don't know if I have a good answer for who I recommend this to because I I really really enjoy reading it but you know the race stuff is a little dicey and then you know the spoiler stuff like I it's it's a little squicky and I don't know if I want to give that to a young kid I mean so I I definitely recommend it to adults who like reading books for a younger audience but I don't like, I want to be able to re- recommend it to kids, but I don't know if I can. Aurora. The, the thing about this book is, as a kid, this was, like, definitely my fave. But approaching it as adult, as as adult, as an adult, as you all said, yeah, you pick up on things where I'm like, oh, oh. But then you once again run into our good friend, the graveyard hag. And continue, uh, Kitten continues to, like, burn locks off doors. Yeah. And it has so much, you know, the world building in this one is really interesting. Um, in ways that I didn't pick up on when I was a youth. Ugh. Mm -hmm. So this is a hard one. Maybe (laughs) 8.5 in that case. 
Animal friendship. Hmm. I'm gonna give it a seven. <gasps> because I miss Cloud. <laughs> Me too. Um, That's And fair. there's a three-point-sized hole in my heart. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is made up exclusively of Cloud. My good friend Cloud. Also our good wolf friends. In terms of who I'd recommend this book to, yeah, I think... Uh, my friends I would what's a good young young adult but focusing on the adult part of you know you you need to be able to yeah approach this you know with it has so many good things but it's best to recognize them along with the other things that one should be critical of so, you know, read at an age when you can be critical. Also, when you can recognize the squick of the squick. Well, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> your turn, Grace. Um, well, nostalgia. As I've talked about, I was not, like, a super, uh, like, Dane nostalgia is not really my, my thing as much as nostalgia for some other series. But of all the Dane books, I remember the, this one the most fondly because I was a huge dinosaur kid. Aww. I thought they were great. So I remember specifically rereading the dinosaur parts a lot. Like, I wouldn't read the rest of the book. <laughs> Those are the best parts. That's amazing. I just, like, have that chapter bookmarked. So uh, for that reason, dinosaur, oh. if there's one part of this book that held up uh, more than any other, it was the dinosaur part. Remember it as really cool? Still really cool. So uh, I would give it, like, a... Given those considerations, I would give this book like a like a seven out of ten, or a, yeah, like a seven out of ten for nostalgia. Because like as we said, there's more that I see to be critical of than when I was reading it as a child. But at the same time, like it, my image of it hasn't been quite as shattered as reading some of the books where I hadn't seen really big things mm-hmm. that we ended up talking about. Mm-hmm. So animal friendship again. Love dinosaurs. Love dinosaur friendship. So I don't think I was as impacted by the lack of other animal friendship because that one was like a real positive for me. So I would give it an 8 out of 10. And then I would recommend this similarly to people who are old enough to be critical, but I definitely think it's worth reading for people who are kind of in the, both in the target demographic and older. Awesome. I like how our target demographic is, in fact, very vague. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, definitely. young, youths. Okay. The Both youths. youths and older. Let's do the wrap-up really quickly. We do not have a palace gossip this week, maybe because I forgot to check the email in this past week, but then we'll be back to you with more <laughs> next time. Extra next time. Yeah. If you have questions or things that you want us to talk about, send them to us. You can send them. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We are Total Recall on Twitter. We are Tortle Recall on Tumblr. Our website is tortlerecall.com, or you can email us at tortlerecall at gmail.com. Um, if you have time and inclination, please head on over to iTunes and give us a rate or give us a review. We love it. Um, we do have a Patreon. Yeah, that's um, patreon.com slash tortlerecall. And yeah, we put some bonus content up there. There's uh, There are additional episodes where you get to hear from the people who didn't give their opinions on the show for any given book. And um, you also get to have input on some of the bonus episodes that we're doing and where some people have had some really good suggestions. So 
we're going to do a bonus episode in the future. Yay. So thank you to people who have donated already. And also, thank you for listening. If you can't donate, that's totally fine. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'd like to thank our music, which is Greensleeves by Zeta. Um, and we'd like to thank some people who talked to us on Twitter. They are uh, Queen Blurblarb, Marble Tross, Catherine Unzer, Word Nerd Knitter, Writing Rissa, and Amy M. Jack. Sounds familiar? Hi, Amy. <laughs> Hi, Amy. Um, and that is it. For this week, tune in next time for the final installment in the Dane series. Nah, oh, I forget what it's called. The first part of the final installment. Yeah, the first part. The Realm of the Gods. And that's, Get pumped, my friends. Get, get super pumped. We might, might go to the Realm of the Gods or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. No spoilers Maybe. here. Could happen. <laughs> yeah, get hyped. Um, who wants to do I did it last Bye bye, Tortellini. Yay! That was good. <laughs> that was good.